You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact. I mean, we were fortunate enough today to actually catch up with uh, with Simon, who is so one of the principals at Portable. So really kind of hearing his story, I guess, around one kind of where he actually started in terms of kind of from a community radio um, background, but then also kind of, you know, I think what I took out of this um, listening to his story and also his insight into terms of kind of actually how to enact change was that he's always been able to work through this with this mindset about taking little bets and kind of looking at ways that you can actually make a small difference with the with the understanding that that could actually lead to something bigger and i think you know anyone listening to this i think the the kind of way that one he's incredibly humble for someone who's actually accomplished as much as he has um but two it's really the the way that if you really listen to what sounds quite disjointed in terms of the actual experiences that he's had the thread that to me goes through that is someone who's actually always been willing to take a little chance make a little bet on something and actually to see that it see it grow and being able to see a purpose and actually being able to do that has really led him as well as the practice uh, to where they are today yeah and on that note of taking little bets incremental bets and and backing yourself to the hill um is interesting there's also a theme of pursuing something that sounded like was coming from the stomach of Simon and his other Andrew they've had a friendship throughout that you'll get to hear and and forming portable which now they're taking out to an Australian centric government policy influencing sort of design space um, is very interesting but yeah his, his background and yeah, where he's come from and the little bets that he's taken is is definitely worth a listen to if you're trying to understand I suppose yourself and then also the emphasis that he puts on putting into yourself to understand your purpose or where you want to hand or your North Star, for lack of a better word, what are you being propelled for, I think right now is a great time because it's definitely rough seas when we're trying to navigate and just trying to understand where to move forward. Hearing how Simon has in the past, chasing the coattails of innovation is quite interesting to where he's landed now and how he's, how he's pursuing a passion still. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, you know, that what I took out of it is that rather than kind of look out to the world, he's actually looked more into himself and actually what's true to him. So, and I think that's a lesson, you know, in terms of the, the backdrop that we're all up against at the moment that we, you know, we can all spend a bit of time reflecting on. My name is Simon Goodrich. I'm one of the co-founders of Portable. We are a digital design studio based in Melbourne. And, you know, we our interest is how do we respond to social need and policy failure that puts users in the centre. We're mm. very interested in coming to that from the skill sets we've got within the team across developers, designers and researchers. It took us a long while to sort of articulate the sort of the, the, the piece, but it's very much at the core of what we do and what drives us. So, yeah, I've been doing that now for coming on 15 years nearly. Yeah, yeah, 15 years. Hmm. Mm. We've done a lot of different things, but it's been with me in it for that time, which has been nice. Yeah, well, um, hearing your story at Portable and understanding how long it has taken um, you to get to where you are, I suppose, is, is quite amazing. Oh, I was hoping you'd give us a sense of where it started. What was the inclination to start Portable? Yeah, sure. So I, I um, originally, like I studied engineering at university with the intent uh, of wanting to like get into mapping you know i did surveying 
surveying engineering. And that was because I really liked maps. And then I thought I, I wanted to do maps. And then I realized I actually liked um, what was in the maps rather than actually, um, you know, making the uh, making the lines that make up all the sort of land parcels. So that was an early insight. And I went to Melways very early on. <laughs> I asked for some work and they said, no, nah, no, nah, come back. So I didn't. Um, and then I did urban planning because I like these maps, right? And then I um, and then I realised, well, if I just do urban planning, I'll probably just tell rich people, rich dudes, they can't build stuff that they want to build, and that's probably going to be a pretty depressing life. Um, and I don't, at the time at uni, being got involved with community radio, um, so I uh, there was a station in in Melbourne. Uh, it was called SRA, Student Radio Association. And I, I got involved, I think, gosh, within a few months of starting uni. And then I, I went from doing shows to sort of getting a bit involved with the management. And then um, I think when I was 20, I, I was elected as a sort of general manager and the president of the, this station. And it was around this time that they were going for a, um, a full-time radio licence um, from the government, <clears throat> from the federal government. So here I was, this 20-year-old kid, presenting on behalf of, you know, our, this station. And I think in the end there were 23 different community groups that were vying for, at the end, I think, with three licences. So I was the, this guy, the guy I can present to the, uh, was it David Flint, you know, a big bureaucrat who was heading up the, I think it was the, AB, you know, the, the Broadcasting Tribunal at the time. And in the end, we ended up getting this licence, you know, this licence that Nobred paid, I think, 70 million bucks for. Um, we ended up as a community radio station uh, being given it, you know, as sort of like a, a station for young people and all under the age of 26. You know, yeah. it was, it just, it was quite a formative experience. And um, and I, I got sort of head involved with that. And I, I then decided for a year I did want to sort of try that mapping game again. Um, and then I really did know it wasn't for me, but I did enjoy it at the time. Uh, and then I sort of got back into community radio and, and uh, within... SRA had become SIN, the Student Youth Network, which is still around today in SIN Media, you know, celebrating 20 years, I think, this year. Uh, and I was sort of tasked with a few others to start to build out the education program for the station. And, and through that, um, got to know a whole range of different people, including a guy called Andrew Apostola, who at the time had interned and volunteered his time to be sort of the inaugural marketing manager for SIN. So Andrew and I sort of hit it off and we were friends uh, and we sort of kept in touch over the, the, those few years and, and we both sort of involved with community radio and I found it interesting that you know as young people we could do a lot of stuff that normally we would think you'd have to have a lot more experience to do maybe that was because it was just an emerging field um, you know this is a time when you know seeing had people like Hamish and Andy and people like Zan Rowe and you know like a lot of the people that are in Australian media have had some connection Sin. So it was a really sort of interesting time, and even now it's a really dynamic organisation, which is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, Andrew and I had, had worked together, and then in this education caper, um, I was sort of involved with setting up um, the initiative of the station, which was very much around like getting young people in um, on it. Uh, and, 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 and this is within an education context, which was somewhat interesting because. Um, within education, I guess a lot of people that you think end up in radio are the professionals, um, which inevitably is what happens. But we were sort of um, framing a bit differently and saying, well, community radio is going to provide and can provide young people some really good life skills, especially for those kids at the margins that are really struggling with school and otherwise. So within that realm, we were able to sort of set up a, a range of different um, initiatives that were linked to curriculum and uh, 
And, you know, I was going up and down the northern suburbs of Melbourne with a whole bunch of different schools, which was which was really enjoyable and a rewarding experience. Uh, and then Andrew, um, well, no, what happened is, is that we were invited to Sydney to sort of present at a, at a sort of a, a, an organisation called the Dusseldorf Schools Forum about sort of this work that we were doing with Community Radio. Uh, and we got talking to a few of the people there and a few months later, the guy who headed up this foundation, a guy called Cherry Dusseldorf, great friend still, um, basically said, look, I really like what you guys, you're doing, you guys are doing in Victoria. We've got an opportunity in Tasmania. Would you be up for it? Um, you know, we'd like to see if you can replicate what you've done with getting um, uh, engaging school kids, especially those on the margins, those at risk involved with community radio and, you know, being able to link that to how it can, you know, in, increase their retention at school and, and, and improve their confidence. So at the time, I said, look, I can't because I've at the time just taken a job in Geelong at a community um, entity, which had a community radio station that was a connect. And I was sort of tasked to try and get that off the, well, help that get off the ground and do a few other things. But I said, I've got a mate, Andrew, who's just got back from Burma. He'd be up for it. So Andrew, I called him and said, yeah, I'm, I'm down. So he basically, like, got on a plane to Hobart, Launceston, I think it was Hobart, you know, basically the next day. And then, you know, he spent most of... Um, Year was I think 2005, just going around the state building the this coalition of schools and community radio stations, um, and I, I went down a lot, and we'd always you know we we really sort of gravitated towards wanting to work with one another, um, and you know we really enjoyed that experience. And then towards that, um, the time Andrew sort of completed that job, you know, it sort of got to the point where it was a submission was put through to the state government, uh, and was in San Francisco would have been in the latter part of 2005 when the video iPod um, got released. And he gave me a call and said, look, I think we've got to do something with this. You know, we'd always talk about wanting to do something. We didn't necessarily know what it was. We'd sort of met and bonded in this milieu of community radio. And then it's like, why don't we, you know, do something with these video iPods? Why don't we do like a, a portable uh, a film festival for mobile devices? You know, and I think the name, I already gave it away, but, you know, the name, let's call it the portable film festival. <laughs> So that's sort of the, the, the start of that, and that was, gosh, back in November 2005, which really yeah. sort of got it kicking off. So sorry, I've probably gone far into far too much. No, no. It's a, I mean, it's it's such a it's such an interesting backstory, I guess, in terms of that it does feel like there's there's a thread of kind of you know this this idea of kind of what broadcast mediums can do but I'm, I'm really interested about kind of as you were actually starting to explore you know the kind of the video iPod I mean this is when digital was really kind of at its at its really in its, in its infancy in terms of its kind of ability to to be centric to to community and I guess um, I was just hoping you could kind of take us through a little bit of how that's actually informed your work in terms of kind of how you've used this new medium to actually kind of take you know some of the community you were building through kind of community radio and transfer that across I'm really interested in about kind of hearing that part of the story if possible for sure i mean i think what sort of drew us to it was that it was interesting and new and innovative just at the time that community radio for young people probably was the same even though a lot of community radio is you know seen as quite um state and old in times um so you know you're right the end of 2005 there wasn't youtube um it was pre-iphone um but we were like this is like let's give it a go and we did we ran it for three years and had a lot of fun and, and we did events around the world um, and events on portable devices. I think we had 80 films 
in the first festival, and we ran that from 2006, I think, through to 2010. I mean, um, Al Koza, who's the current director of Melbourne International Film Festival, was the last director of the Portable Film Festival. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, it's funny how, you know, sat in turn, so to speak. So um, we're really interested in, in that as a new medium and, 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 and pushing, pushing that. And then I guess at the same time, people were seeing what we were doing with the film festival and saying, hey, we really like some of this website stuff you do and some of the mobile stuff that you're doing. Can you do it for us? And, you know, I think Andrew and I have sort of always been tasked with being, you know, on, you know, opportunistic, I guess, and saying, well, cool, yeah, we, we can and we should. So we effectively developed a, um, a service offering without really thinking about it uh, as, an, I guess, an aside to this product that we were, that we were going up and developing. Uh, and then probably for the first 10 years of our journey, um, did that on multiple occasions. So after the film festival, um, we did some other work where we developed an e-commerce platform called Swapla that we then ended up selling to BigCommerce, but at the time probably had 100 to 150 Australian fashion retailers. And we're really sort of interested in, in e-commerce as, as a space. Uh, and another time again, um, Andrew lived in New York from the period of 2010 to 2015, we ran a business called Subscription, which was a luxury um, uh, retail uh, subscription box for men, retailing, you know, upwards of 300 to $600 USD per quarter, um, you know, collaborating with people like Hermes, um, uh, Barney's, a whole range of, you know, very high-end American retailers, which, again, was sort of something a bit interesting and a bit different. Um, and, you know, some of the other founders of that have gone on to, like, have high... Um, uh, you know, high creative roles in Apple and and, and, and and so forth. So it was just like a really interesting experience. But I think what's sort of tying a lot of those together is that what, you know, what starts is really interesting, um, especially in the world of tech, becomes quite, you know, boring quite quickly. So, for instance, you know, portable film festivals around sort of pre-YouTube, but if you're not YouTube, then there isn't necessarily space for that. Same as e-commerce at the time was really innovative and interesting, and then effectively it was three or four companies. Same thing again goes with that subscription boxes. So, you know, you you look at, like, say, the automotive industry. I think they said there were 50 car companies in 1900. There were three by 1950. You know, we were sort of following these these trends that we were curious and interested in and seeing in real time, like in accelerated real time, just how quickly it was shifting and changing. You know, and I think the query for us is like, are we just, you know, like, are we just forever going to be following, you know, we're enjoying this, we're making a, a, a decent living out of it, we like what we do. But it's like, you know, even when we're in subscription, Anna and I said, we just don't want to make stuff for rich guys, you know, this not, isn't particularly purposeful of what we're doing. So um, he was in 2015, so five years ago when... Um, we've got kids around the same age. We were sort of making collective call whether, you know, whether we'd move to the States or whether he'd come back. Um, Andrew's wife's also from Melbourne too who um, and involved with fashion. So um, they made the call to come back and that was a time, I guess, when we had that sort of reset. Um, you know, our kids around the same age getting ready for school. It's usually the time that, you know, you, you, you're choosing to put down those roots. Um, and we really probably used um, that year five years ago to really sort of reflect on, the practice, reflect on the work that we've done because if you draw a narrative arc, like it's all nice and well to put it in the rearview mirror now, but at the time it's like, so you built websites for like charities and then you're making stuff for like New York Fashion Week, like it's a bit sort of different, you know, yeah. and, 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 and rightly so, there wasn't a necessarily overarching narrative, nor necessarily a need that there should be one. 
But, you know, I think we started getting thinking more and it's like, well, if we're just going to keep moving from industries and industries are interesting and then they become, you know, quite uh, generic very quickly, we really wanted to focus more on the process and really sort of being able to look at the actual mechanisms that are involved with producing these things. And that sort of gave us a renewed interest and vigour into the craft, the craft of development, the craft of design, um, bringing in and, and instilling um, human-centered design as a core process. You know, we'd built, you know, literally hundreds of websites, including, you know, even in this period, we'd built multi-million dollar websites for the Australian government. Um, you know, and, but it was the same thing. It was like you might be able to build it perfectly, but if you're not engaging at an end point, then, you know, it could just be just tomorrow's garbage. So it was that sort of lesson that isn't, it's far less important to be perfect and a lot more better to be empathetic to the users that you're seeking to do. So that sort of instilled us and I guess aligned back to that work that we'd had within community radio. And, and, and for us, I guess, more of a doubling down into that purpose. Like in the past, the service business had been, um, I guess, a, I wouldn't say an appendage, but like, you know, not as important as that sort of product piece. So like, we were organically picking up work and, and working with some amazing people, but weren't really giving it a massive amount of, 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 of foresight. Um, and that sort of flipped when in 2015, where it's like, well, let's focus less on this necessarily, like what is trending or, not, or what, what, what could be interesting, which has always driven us, but more about let's focus on the craft. And also let's focus more on that purpose piece, which had driven us, I think, initially into community radio on the outset. So it was this nice, you know, 10-year loop of being able to sort of do that. I mean, Andrew and I always joke amongst ourselves that, you know, we've we've worked in many businesses, but we've always worked together at, at Portable. So, you know, we've always, like, it's, it's sort of been a bit of an apprenticeship for the, everything that we've done. And we've been able to both personally and professionally get things that we wanted out of it, which we're both very thankful of to the business and to each other. You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual the podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Your hosts, Patrick Beggs of Per Production, a production house that works with organisations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co. If you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations. Yeah, that's quite quite the um, the U-turn, or not U-turn, just quite the arc that you've drawn there coming out of community radio, going into a really commercial space and then landing back at Portable and re-envisaging what it is. Was Portable always continuing throughout that that 10, five-year gap? Yeah, always. I mean, it's sometimes bigger than others. Yeah. Um, it had gone through a time when it, we were probably 30 head count, and then when we sold business, it might go down to five. It wasn't like necessarily like feast or famine, like a production company, um, so to speak, but it was certainly something where um, there, wasn't a, a, there wasn't a dedicated focus. It was more like we had a number of different things that were sort of somewhat aligned, but aligned because we were into them as opposed to having a, a broader mission-aligned purpose um, that, you know, could help coalesce more people to sort of get behind that. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think it took us, Andrew and I, the time to actually, you know, articulate that ourselves and, and then to be able to find those opportunities to, um, yeah, to, to be able to sort of put that back out to the world. 
And some of that work that you're doing now, I've had a look through and um, checked out some of the interesting things that you've gone through, that you've been touching on death, you've been touching on breakup, you've been touching on a, lif- a lot of different design points. How have you found coming from, say, community radio now into the design space and user design, um, working with community and, and getting that, I suppose, feedback loop into your service and products um, on a rewarding side and then also just on a productive side? Um, look, it has been, you know, I think it has been really rewarding. Um, like, I think community radio came with the the, 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 the monkey of supporting, you know, like um, uh, groups of people to sort of have a voice, you know, and, and, and advocate for, for them having, um, you know, some sort of seat at, the, uh, seat at the table or an opportunity to broadcast some of those things. So I think that, um, you know, we, we feel that some of the work and a lot of the work we do can align with it. I think there was a shift away when it was less about the end product, like, you know, that view that we might just be seen as just the, the developers as like just shut the F up and just code or, you know, move it three pixels that way. And we were very fearful, I guess, of sort of falling into that trap and then seeing others do the same or, you know, you follow um, technical trends uh, especially in a very fast-moving paced environment, which, you know, the internet is and, and, and certainly was 15 years ago in, in that period since. So I think, you know, the, the view that we had was to really focus on what change we want to be making and then that then would align with the work more. So we sort of changed the monkey of what we're doing, but it's very much around, like, we're, we're, we're far more interested in the the problem and getting that right and articulating the problem rather than coming to a solution first and then over time we've built up um the expertise both you know amongst ourselves and also with the team that we've 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 grown into to be able to respond to some of those you know more wicked and challenging problems and i guess from our perspective they're the things that have always interested us like we've had many opportunities to sort of go down a route of you know winning commercial clients we've just never been that interested in it's just never really driven Apart, I was a president of the um, industry body for a period of time, and it's like I looked at a lot of other companies. And I'm like, look, that's good for them, but I'm just not interested in this stuff. Now, I don't want to go and walk up Collins Street or Pitt Street and win an account. I couldn't think of anything more dull in my mind. Um, and look, that's just me. It's just sort of what I drive purpose out of life. But it was probably took me a while to um, to really sort of be clear on that, and then to realise that you know. Wasn't wasn't that I was hiding from it? I just probably hadn't articulated it. And then, when I did spend the time to articulate it, it, it then meant that you know all the other decisions were, were were being made for me too, in an easier way. Like there weren't there weren't necessarily challenges, so to speak. It was just it was I was doing more of what I wanted to do. I sort of was able to project the type of world that I wanted to create and the type of work I wanted to do, and was able to start on. Fantastic, and. You know, Simon, I'm really curious around kind of, you know, how you how you view solving solving problems. So, you know, we live we live in a world where, you know, I think what's what's always fascinating me, particularly at the moment, is that we live in a world where, as you as you said before, is that it's actually in framing the problem that is actually the most important part of it. But kind of your approach to problem solving involving users in that. I mean, how would you how would you describe how you actually go about framing a problem? Well, I mean, there's many problems, right? I mean, it just depends on which ones you want to champion. Um, and I don't mean that in some sort of dystopian process. I mean, one of the things that we sort of looked at is that, like, there's many opportunities to improve. Um, yeah. You know, one of our sort of um, visions is to exceed 
Australians' expectations of services they get delivered by government. It's sort of an underlying sort of core core interests of us. You know, and I think that in the private sector, um, that happens more by osmosis due to competitive forces. You know, yeah, yeah. What the Red Bank does, the Blue Bank's going to want to do. Um, we were really interested in, in areas where there wasn't necessarily that notion for change. Like, how do you be innovative in areas which aren't typically innovative? Um, and, you know, we, we put out a report, would have been maybe three, four, four years ago now, called Hacking the Bureaucracy, you know, how to innovate in government, you know, and that view of this was came about from Andrew and I and others sort of spoken to 200 people in the public service. You know, we've always been driven by this curiosity. It's like, what drives you to do what you do? It's usually sort of, especially what led us in that first 10 years, you know, we just sort of went to things that we were interested in and that ended up being one of them. Um, and that idea that, like, it's less necessary about the problem, but it's more about the dynamics of how to solve it. And then within that, like, there's many multiple problems to solve. And obviously, you know, there's only so many you can solve within design and technology. Like, let's be honest, we're not going to, at this stage, you know, solve, um, uh, not get a vaccine for COVID. But <laughs> I was going to ask you, if you got one of those, uh, send that care yeah. of, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so it's interesting. It's like a, one point is, is like it's a recognition of not being too idealistic to know what you can't do, but nor is it necessarily... You know, a criticism I have, I think, of someone of the sector is that it's like, you know, they're very just to the craft. And it's like, yeah, but I did everything right. And then no one, no one, you know, and then it wasn't used. Or I did a great prototype or I did a great, um, you know, discovery process and didn't go anywhere. Because, you know, what I find interesting and challenging and, and fascinating and keeps me going is just the dynamics of, like, how things get up, you know, and just the, the, the messiness of life. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that North Star of having issues like for us one of our areas is like really interested in redesigning justice and have been for you know over eight years now um you know it's sort of a core bit like a moment of time in the business that sort of helped enshrine you know a process now where we we probably work with I don't know, 25 30 agencies in this around australia but it, you know if team asked me i go well we're only about two percent of the way like we've barely made any dent. like i'd like like to say it's more but the reality is we're only just getting started and that is both positive and negative negative in the sense that it is somewhat disheartening that it's slower than you always want it to be but positive in the sense that there's still so much opportunity and the we've already built momentum for the period that we have to be able to sort of get us going forward into into the future um and that 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 you know especially in a period of now where um there's a lot of uncertainty um they're things that i think we're very much um drawing upon and 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 um feeling that we can you know be doing it more um, so, which is an exciting yeah thing. yeah and hacking hacking government so that that concept of kind of you know the bureaucracy is always always interesting i mean even even moving something through government 2% of the way is you know is it's a huge accomplishment in terms of that they do seem to you know that there is inertia in government for for some particular reason but i mean do you do you have any kind of um insight into that or is that something there you're kind of like well we've actually just had to kind of bring the tools and the techniques because they didn't know i mean what what have been the ways that you've tried to hack and move government forward. I think it's where it's where you do it. Right? There's always there's always people who want to there's always people who, who want to try new things and be innovative. And I think the response to COVID that a lot of them have had opportunities to do that. So that you've got a, like some pretty amazing leaps and bounds that's happened over the last four months um, that that I think are, that I think are really good. Uh, to the other point, there's people who typically the ones with the innovation in the Thailand government are the ones that you, you know tend to be the biggest blockers the ones that are, are hardest to, to go and, and, and do things. And I think it's about where you choose 
to do it. Like it's about like, you know, it's it's like you want to be far away from Beijing, so to speak. Like you want to be, you know, out in the boondocks where the, where, where the, where the eye isn't necessarily on you. So you've got the ability to be a bit messy, to prototype, to test, and then bring it back in when it's ready. Yeah. I think for a lot of times is when there's such a heightened pressure to do it within a central agency that either it, it, it doesn't happen because everyone's had their four or five experiences and their fearfulness of being on the front page of their Herald Sun or the Daily Telly or whatever. So, you know, it tends to buy osmosis, means that they don't sort of make those bolder decisions. Um, and it's just not the right format for it. So, you know, it's about, you know, a lot of it is to do with, it's like comedy, a lot of it is to do with timing. So, and, and then also just being aware, I guess, of where it's sort of sitting in in, 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 in that broader remit. And, and it's also part of it just the inertia. Like, you know, I think a lot of... Um, a lot of the stuff that happens from a bureaucratic level from the outside, it's a bit like being stuck in the trenches at times too. Like it's a, like things don't move at all and then things move really quickly. Um, but you're always sort of on a war footing. Um, and, you know, it makes sense. You're having to manage very complex um, uh, situations in an in a, in a advanced economy in a Western democracy. Like it invariably comes with, comes, comes with the environment. Um, and I don't think that's a criticism. I think it actually is part of the... the the uh, uh, part of the part of the fulfilment and part of the purpose you get from from trying to to make change within that broader broader dynamics. And on that note, Simon, how do you see the next ten years playing out once the dust settles from from COVID nineteen and I suppose global commerce and just where we all find ourselves? How do you see it playing out? I suppose at a governmental level and a digital level. Um, and I suppose your work and where you'd like to be positioning portable. Yeah, thanks for the question. I mean, on a, on a few fronts. I mean, I think government will be inoculated for a few, but there will inevitably be, you know, tightening of the purse strings that will have to happen in terms of just the tax base is smaller. Um, and that's going to lead to, you know, could go, could go, you know, presumably you would think that there would be more of a push towards digital services. And that will mean that, that there's others in the public service that may be, may be losing their roles. And that will be, you know, who knows? That isn't that isn't that isn't a fate complete by any means. But I can imagine there's some, going to be some broader challenges in there too. I think that over the last four months, as I mentioned, people have been able to make great leaps and bounds. I think the challenges is that when things get to normal, you know, it's a big big if and the when point that we don't necessarily take you know decisions we made in April 2020 to reflect what we're going to do for the rest of the decade. Um, there still is a lot around that sort of user centred approach. Um, that, you know, we, we, we champion. So it isn't just necessarily picking a technology and saying, well, this is just the way we do it now. Um, and mind you, a lot of the people that were putting through new ways of doing things, you know, have been, you know, having having that, that memo in their drawer for, you know, a decade or more and just finding the right time to put it out there. Um, and, you know, I think that, the, you know, I think the reality is, is that, like, People won't be working from their offices all the time, and that's okay. You know, people will be – the bosses, even in the most conservative areas, will be more flexible to people. Um, you know, I think um, that is, I think, a really good thing that's going to come out of that. I think a broader thing in terms of, like, um, you know, sort of the role of people's purpose and what they do within work will, will continue to be, you know, challenged and a part of that exacerbated. I mean, I think there's be – there's really big sort of strains on um, mental health through this period. And, you know, here we are in Melbourne in a second lockdown and, you know, sort of the, the challenge that people would have. But, I mean, I, look, I'm also of the view that, you know, we humans are pretty resilient, you know. Like we've gone through, like, maybe not 
our generation, but other generations have gone through a hell of a lot worse than we have. So, mm. um, you know, humanity, um, you know, traditionally has a way of always being able to find that way through. And I think, you know, we've got the odds certainly stacked against us by, you know, being in a, a you know, in a, in an advanced, wealthy nation at the time that we are. Um, and a lot of the challenges in the world, which will happen, we, by inertia of just a lot of being born where we are, will be inoculated more than the majority of the world. Um, that's not to say that, you know, I think if anything that, that in, in, you know, means that people like us, I think, have, have more of a, um, a mandate to, to be able to advocate and make change, but also to recognise the privilege that we've got to be in position here. Fantastic. That's uh, thank you, Simon. That's uh, I think a great place to leave it. So really, really appreciate you taking the time to chat to us. And uh, yeah, I guess it's um, yeah, it's been great to uh, hear your perspective and also you know just to, I think just to share the story of how you know what what I've really taken from this is just this thread that goes through it from you know really just just taking a chance and even today in government you were taking that exact same approach that you took way back kind of you know twenty years ago, which is actually finding a way that you can actually make a difference and you know the yeah. world needs more people that back themselves to make small change after small change. Thank you for listening to BAU, Business as Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's B-A-U-P-O-D-C-O.